Welcome to the Newsbusters podcast with the executive editor of Newsbusters, your host, Tim Graham. Hello and welcome to the porous border between Crazy Town and MSNBC. It's the Newsbusters podcast. You know, there's a new speaker of the house and there's a new spin. Now that Kevin McCarthy secured the gavel, he's now the most feckless speaker in American history. Like within 24 hours, he had apparently all his feck was taken away by these so-called hijackers. And now they call him the mayor of crazy town. And all fiscal sanity has suddenly left Capitol Hill. That's their opening gambit. You know, the counterpoint to that apparently is the people at MSNBC are the moderates of cable town. And if you believe that, you know, there's a bridge in Kentucky I'll try to sell you for a billion dollars. All right, so President Biden went to El Paso. That's the Jose Diaz-Balart pronunciation today on MSNBC. El Paso! Uh, And here to discuss Biden and the border, of course, is our expert, Jorge Bonilla, director of MRC Latino, live from Orlando. Thank you, Tim. I hope you had a great uh, Christmas, great New Year uh, alongside with your loved ones, it's it's great to be here. And if I could just kick off by saying I've I've never understood. I, I don't knock anybody. You know me. I'm a pretty. I love everybody. But I, I, it's always the 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 performative pronunciation of things in Spanish <laughs> has always sort of like why why do you do that? What 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 purpose does this serve? I've never understood that. I don't knock anybody who does it. I respect, as a free speech absolutist, I respect everybody's right to do that, but I've never understood the why. Yeah, I do. I, I, don't, I don't get it. I had two years of high school Spanish, and I, but I do get a kick out of that where they're like, thank you, it's Frank Smith in Nicaragua. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like okay. Is this what, a newscast or a Speedy purpose? Gonzalez cartoon? I don't yeah. Know. All right. So it's been that kind of a week. <laughs> All right. So one of the things you retweeted was somebody summarizing the Biden visit in El Paso. One, visit with NGOs, non-government organizations. Two, photo op with Border Patrol. Three, El Paso turned into Potemkin Village devoid of any migrants. Four, policies addressing efficiency slash expenditures to process migrants, not stopping deluge of migrants. Nothing changes. And I think that's what's interesting. I mean, it would seem to me that Biden and his team made the calculation of, okay, what really got him to the border was Republican oversight. He wanted to at least take that talking point away. Um, But nobody really would have expected that him just visiting the border was going to change what's wrong with his policy. No, nobody expected it. But again, as as you accurately um, state it is about the optics. It's about getting down there, uh, at least moderately close to the to the border hotspot, within walking distance of it, and do the dog and pony show, and walk around and be seen, and give a sound bite, and, and give the media something to work with, ahead of border oversight, oversight uh, against the Biden administration for. Their elimination of, all, of really all types of border controls mm-hmm. after uh, upon taking office, um, and potentially the impeachment of uh, Homeland uh, Secretary Mayorkas. So 
in the interest of doing all of these things, Biden shows up. The Democrat mayor of El Paso cleaned the streets before Biden got there. Mm-hmm. I've, I've read reports that a big chunk of those migrants were shipped off to Houston, yeah. out of sight, out of mind. So the streets are nice and clean when Biden walks the streets under the bridge. It's nice and clean. There were tons of migrants there just a few days prior. But the streets, it's like they ran a street sweeper and got rid of all the migrants before Joe Biden showed up and did his little dog and pony show and walked around and shook the hands. Um, If it weren't for Governor Greg Abbott handing him the letter, uh, saying these are the things that you have to do and this is what's so terrible about the border, it would have been, you know, it would have been a total waste, a complete and absolute waste. So I'm, I'm struck more with this being more of a speed bump and something to do on the way to the Three Amigos Summit uh, in Mexico City, which is where Biden is today. Yeah, is it? Uh, so I I did have Jose Diaz Palarta on this morning, and he got angry um, that people would use the word sanitize like these migrants were filth or something. But this is just common political parlance, the idea of you were saying optics matter, and so what we need to do is not have the streets full of migrants. Right. Uh, uh, so, uh, you know, anybody who's trying to control the border, it's they're not doing it to dehumanize people. But I think the thing that's always been annoying about the way they cover this um, well, there was two things in the MSNBC coverage this morning that you can right. point at and kind of laugh. One is now suddenly the border, it's so complex. You know, it's, it's so when, because when they can't solve a problem, then it's too complex to solve. It's like Jimmy Carter and inflation. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it, but it's also this whole sense of, uh, you know, the way Trump did it was wrong. And, but basically you get this sense that there's sort of a policy paralysis. Like we can't do anything because we can't look like we're cruel to migrants. Well, you, you can't, in, in the sense, in the case of Biden, he, he can't do anything because he's kind of boxed in. Um, in 2020, when, when he was uh, going through the electoral process, he went before La Raza. In order to get their endorsement, and he okay, let's, let's just say for people who don't know, that's the National Council of La Raza, right. which we always make fun of because it means the race. The race, They're which very they, race they sensitive. did a focus group in 2018, and they and they found the name to be so totally divisive. <laughs> ah, so they changed it to Unidos U.S. All right. So, but I, but to me, they're always going to be La Raza. So I always call them that. The organization <laughs> formerly known as La Raza. There you go. I, you know, because only those U.S. is what it is. So he groveled before these people and he promised that he would get rid of these enforcement measures, that he would get rid of, uh, of Title 42, that he would get rid of Remain in Mexico, the third party agreements with other countries. All these things that, by, that, that Trump had done to, to sort of keep things in check. And, you know, no sooner Biden took office, he signed those executive orders. And that was like pulling a pin. And everybody just started streaming in. And it was, a, you know, it was like massive stimulus for for human traffickers and coyotes. So when we talk about the border being complex, it's only complex because the administration lacks the will to do what they know must be done 
because it is not politically expedient. In fact, it is politically harmful for them, uh, especially when, uh, when because it, it brings them into accountability with all these NGOs and outside groups and and what I call the professional Latinx grift class, mm-hmm. which Biden is beholden to, to all of those groups. So it's com- it's only complex because he can't do what has to be done. And it's funny that, that you mentioned uh, the coverage of, of, of uh, this trip to the to the border. One thing that we noticed, the Univision and Telemundo, the, the, the trip also kind of landed with a thud um, because Biden did not meet with the migrants personally. There was an expectation uh, amplified by Univision and Telemundo reporters mm-hmm. on the ground in El Paso that there I did it. Even I did it. El Paso. <laughs> that, uh, that, that Biden would personally meet with these migrants in order to hear their stories. Uh, and that didn't happen. So there was multiple minutes of a block airtime devoted to migrants grieving, airing their grievances over the fact that they couldn't tell Biden personally to grant them a parole or to let them stay in the country uh, because they've been traveling for four months or they're pregnant or whatever else is going on. And they couldn't tell Biden personally uh, or they could make their case personally in front of Joe Biden. So the networks, Univision and Telemundo specifically, devoted significant airtime to, to airing these grievances out. It was fascinating to watch. Yeah, I saw some of that again on MSNBC this morning was that they they did find it mildly controversial that Biden met with no migrants. That was, again, their way of trying to say, gosh, gee, it's something he should have done. Because, again, yeah, when you listen to network people talk about this, their only concern, their only interest is in helping Massive migration. And so, yes, Jose Diaz-Balart today was all, these people have been marching for four months from Venezuela, like that the hardships themselves were their ticket in. And anyone who would attempt to stop them at the border is the cruelest person imaginable. And look, this is the whole problem. And that is, you know, they always said with Trump's border policies, the cruelty was the point. Right. Um, But, you know, Trump actually claimed immigration was a hostile act. That's what upset them so much. Then he he doubled down and he basically, he apparently said to Democrats, he called these countries assholes. And so this whole narrative was cemented and it seems like the media is trying to, they want Biden to be the absolute extreme opposite of this. Right. And, and I mean, look, it, it, wherever... Those of you that, that are listening, where, wherever you may land on the immigration issue, I think we can all agree that unordered, uninterrupted, uh, unchecked immigration is a hostile act against the United States. Anything that, that violates the sovereignty of a country to, to enforce its own borders is a hostile act, and it has to be addressed. And the fact is that, that we have a media for, for whatever partisan reasons, is covering this um, in a matter that benefits drug traffickers, that benefits cartels, that benefits the enemies of the United States, and is, is not mindful of our sovereignty to police and to protect and to enforce our own borders. And especially when it comes to Spanish language TV, and, and Diaz-Balart uh, made a career uh, in, in Spanish language television, whether Univision, Telemundo, whatever have you, 
Um, and good for him that he made that corporate jump and went to MSNBC and sort of shifted out of having to do a daily newscast and, and now doing something more in depth. Uh, good on him. But but he comes from Spanish language TV. And the whole purpose of, 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 of the thing about Spanish language TV is that they are entirely dependent on an open, porous border because that's where their eyeballs come from. Jorge Ramos in 2015, when he was addressing his daughter's class at the Harvard Kennedy School of Government, uh, during a Q&A session, he said as much. He said that the future of Spanish language television is secure so long as you have a million and a half to two million immigrants coming into the country every year, year after year, the majority of whom are Spanish dominant, so long as you have that, whether or not they're here legally, the future of Spanish language TV is set for decades to come. And we've got video of that on Twitter, on MRC Latino Twitter, on my Twitter, where Jorge Ramos says it's at Harvard University. So that's kind of the mindset. And in, 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 the re in recent years, uh, as the media went hostile and adversarial towards Donald Trump, they also co-opted that mindset. And that's why you have a general media softness towards this whole immigration issue. I just find it fascinating. I I was um, looking at um, NPR National Public Radio Morning Edition um, on Friday. They had it. They had two Team Biden interviews, both seven minutes. One with Jake Sullivan that was very like explained to me, you know, how we are going to uh, project our power and influence around the world or something. It was very, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm a Biden press secretary. But then. Right. Steve Inskeep, there, the anchor there, uh, who interviewed Sullivan, also interviewed Mayorkas. Well, there was no question, Jorge, about whether he was going to be impeached by the Republicans. Uh, Inskeep came at him from the left in a, in a, in it's almost mind-boggling. Um, so they have this new policy they announced that they're going to try to have some of these countries like Cuba and Venezuela, please stay in your country while you apply for asylum. And this is being portrayed right. as some sort of vicious move to the center. Uh, this is a question. This is how he began the interview. Both parts of this policy that I just mentioned seemed aimed at the same one goal, telling people not to come and cross the border illegally. Why? Is that your bottom line? Huh. How does how does a journalist who who knows that this is an unprecedented number of migrants pouring across the border ask a stupid question like why would you try to control the border? Well, a journalist doesn't ask those questions, but a propagandist does. <laughs> an activist does. And so that's where where you get those kind of questions when when you have Immigrant, and I've been covering this for years. So the question itself doesn't surprise me. I'm used to seeing those kind of questions, covering Univision, Telemundo, CNN Espanol every day. I'm, I'm quite used to these kind of questions because this is, this is how they come on those networks. It is interesting now watching the rest of the media co-op that kind of language mm -hmm. and that kind of tone. It, it, it definitely explains to you why have these people been so soft on the border, which you've ably explained here today. And then he goes on to uh, being basically upset that these countries with their terrible conditions, and we're not going to say Venezuela is a great place to live, 
If you'll forgive me, Mr. Secretary, we've got these disastrous conditions for many people in multiple countries, but you want them not to leave the country and to stay and ask for entry from for, uh, entry to the United States from there. Have you done enough here that's going to change the motivations of people in distress? This is just advocacy. It's it's defense lawyering. It is. The only thing that's going to change the motivations of people coming here is border enforcement, is is grabbing those who do not have um, a legitimate asylum case and turning them right back around and shipping them back to their country of origin or to us or again, do the remain in Mexico. Do the, if, if you really want to hear everybody's asylum case then do the remain in Mexico, do the safe third party, do the safe third country where people can go to the nearest U.S. consulate and, and get the process going there. But, you know, this this insistence on having millions of people stream unchecked into the United States is 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 just not good from from a sovereignty point of view, from a national security point of view. It's it's just not sound policy. Well, I mean, it's so, it's yes. I mean, I think that we were. I've seen some of this discussion on Twitter, and that is the way that, you know, even the governor of Colorado is now coming under attack. It's that this whole idea that uh, the the social welfare burden that this is putting on states, and the states then all go to Washington and say we need more money to process and take care of these migrants, um, and. The, the migrants go on MSNBC and tell like Gabe Gutierrez this morning, Biden told us we could come. I mean, that's that's what they say when you ask them the question. They heard this policy about Venezuela and said that that's a go. That's a green light. Right. What ends up happening is that any changes in policy, um, they get spun by the coyotes, by the human traffickers. Yep. Um, and again, if Spanish language disinformation. The real Spanish language disinformation is that, you know, these people telling the migrants, hey, hurry up and get there before the policy changes, which is what happened with Title 42. Mm-hmm. Hurry up and get over there. They're going to close the border. And that's why you you had this rush throughout November and December. And it doesn't stop and it won't stop until people see tangibly that that the border is not open for business. And until that happens, it's going to continue being this way. And then I've got to get this third question in, Jorge, because this is just more of the same. And he's basically lecturing Mayorkas. You are going to turn away more people at the border without a hearing, without parole into the country. I guess it's parole now to let them stay in the country for months. It's it's called a parole because they're not um, there's not going to be uh, it's a forfeiture of enforcement action. Yeah. So they call it a parole. So then he says, this is a little being a little harsher at the border. I'd like to ask if you can do that legally. If someone reaches the United States and asks for asylum, isn't the U.S. legally required to let them in and consider their case rather than turn them back as this policy suggests? I mean, he's he's fighting him tooth and nail on them trying to put any brakes on this. Yeah, he's fighting them tooth and nail to let them in, to stay in. Again, this is practically indistinguishable. What we're seeing on taxpayer-funded NPR is practically indistinguishable from the kind of content that we see on Univision and Telemundo in terms of just blatant immigration advocacy. Um, and it's a little bit it's a it's a little bit eye-opening to see again on NPR, but that's exactly what this is. 
It's advocacy. Of course, we have the right to enforce our borders. Of course, we have the right to process asylees consistent with our laws um, as, as we deem necessary. But there's no concern here, again, there's no concern here for national sovereignty, for the integrity of our borders. There's no care about that. It's it's just stuff them all in as much as you can. And, and all that does is encourage the next group of people that are coming down the pike and the traffickers that are making billions of dollars um, off of misery and, and human suffering. Uh, and then if we're going to talk about the bad actors in this, another thing that you had retweeted today, somebody tweeted, despotic leftist regimes like Cuba, Venezuela, Nicaragua have greatly benefited from and exploited Biden's imbecilic open borders policies by literally exporting its opposition and agents of democratic change to the United States. Now, this links to an article in The Wall Street Journal by Mary Anastasia O'Grady. I thought this was really interesting. I would encourage people to look at this, but I'm just going to give you a, a, a piece of it. Uh, many migrants are opponents of the regime. Exile is a way of purging dissidents. It isn't enough that they leave. Caracas delights in the destabilizing effects of large numbers of migrants on Uncle Sam's doorstep. Those eventually employed in the U.S. will send back dollar remittances, which will prop up Venezuela's economy. That's that's again that that's the part that's the aspect of immigration that we don't talk about. How these countries benefit from remittances. I've I've thought often that if you taxed remittances <laughs> as part of any any immigration policy, and you know the, the percentage that's to be determined. Um, whether you want to go to anywhere from ten to forty percent, but if you were to tax remittances. Um, that would that would give people pause and that would give um you know that would discourage i think some of these actions but well certainly steve inskeep would call that double taxation don't you think well we don't know that the money's being taxed to begin with oh. right? legally you know what what proof do we have Paid that the money's cash. even being taxed mm. if somebody works at a construction site cash business or does something else and they're trying to send some money back that's i think that's a reasonable uh, you know, that's a reasonable way of, of, of capturing revenue that you're going to need if, if like, if we're going to house migrants and feed them right, and do all these things. The revenue has got to come from somewhere. And this seems to be like, like, like a reasonable accommodation Hit the remittances and, and watch how, how some of that nonsense stops. I like it. Well, it, it, O'Grady writes that seven million, some 7 million people have fled Venezuela since 2014 when the economy yes. hit the skids. In most of those years, migrants went largely to neighboring countries in South America. Uh, I know that's definitely happened. But when Biden arrived in the White House, things changed. One expert told O'Grady immigration agents encountered nearly 190,000 Venezuelans along the border in the latest fiscal year, which was a 375% increase over the previous fiscal year. And it suggests it wasn't without help from Caracas. They want those that immigration. It wasn't. I mean... Again, when, you know, people people may have been wanting to leave and sitting on the sidelines. And one thing that's not often reported is that many of those migrants did not leave Venezuela directly. Some of them were sitting in Chile, Colombia. Some of them were in Brazil. Um, 
a lot of migrants did not leave their home countries, but rather they came from third countries. Yeah. Like the rush of hate. If you remember when when there was a big spike in Haitian migration, a lot of those guys came over from Chile, for example, mm -hmm. where they did not have a permanent residency. They were there. They, they were given some kind of legalization. They had papers. They were able to work and and whatever. But they didn't have that permanent residency. But somehow they came over thinking that Biden was going to let them in. A lot of them got here only to be put on a plane, not uh, to Chile, but back to Haiti. <laughs> so so you, you talk about a double wham. That was that was for them. That was really, really painful. Um, and that just goes to show the degree to which, you know, if we want to talk about actual disinformation to where a lot of disinformation flows uh, to, to prospective migrants in these countries. And because our media is, is not vested in the security and integrity of our border, they don't do enough to combat this disinformation. All right. So there's, there is, uh, and I think Inski mentioned this, that there are, that obviously, yes, the traffickers, as you suggested, tell people that their misinformation and then they certainly get it in social media. Again, that's suggested that some of these hostile regimes gin it up in their own social media. So then you have that whole uh, question of disinformation. So I guess I should wrap by asking you one of the things you've been paying special attention to in the last few months, what are the latest developments in the way that the left and the media have been going after what they call Spanish language misinformation, which apparently is defined as anything that seems to lead uh, Latinos to vote Republican more often. Right. It's, it's, you know, it, it's ongoing. This is, this isn't a battle that ended with the 2022 election. The left wants to control the flow of information to the Hispanic community, whether it's news information, how they gather, how it's gathered, how it's viewed. So there is this ongoing effort. That's what led to the purchase of what I call Radio Soros. Um, you know, the Soros-backed consortium that, that bought these radio stations from Univision, which by the way, the FCC approved that deal. Um, and it sailed through and now uh, the Latino media network is is set to take control of those stations and do as they wish. And so the biggest Hispanic markets in the country, um, th this is an ongoing battle. And that's why what we do at MRC Latino, I think is so critical and so important. And it's also important to champion um, Spanish language, alternative media, wherever possible, conservative media, wherever possible, where people have an alternative to the usual narrative that you hear out of Univision, out of Telemundo, out of CNN and Espanol, which we know it's going to be a left-wing narrative, um, many times in coordination with with Democrats and, and Democrat Party politicians, as we saw in 2016, for example, when Univision and the Clinton campaign worked together uh, in order to provide news most favorable to Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And that was covered. We covered that on MRC Latino, by the way. Um, it's an ongoing thing, Tim. And that's something that, that we're going to in 2023, we're going to have to remain vigilant. Um, but this is something that it, it doesn't stop. It's always ongoing. So uh, I we didn't go anywhere for Christmas or New Year's, but you're, you took your family to Puerto Rico. I did. Did we learn did. anything about uh, uh, news developments on the ground? How's the island doing? Is it still, you know, having power issues and all that stuff? 
You know, I had a nice little uh, two and a half hour power outage, uh, <laughs> like the day before I, I came back home. The night before I came back home. But other than that, look, we had we had great fun. We had a lot of Christmas fun. I unfortunately I got caught up in the uh, in the whole rash of Southwest cancellations, so we had to scramble and uh, and, and make some arrangements, but. Uh, well, you, good. It's, it's good. You couldn't do it. Brent Baker did, you know, Brent Baker just took his rental car and drove it from New Hampshire or Massachusetts. He drove it back to Baltimore. You you can't drive your car back from Puerto Rico. One does not have that option. Much <laughs> as I would have liked it, I would have liked to have that option. It, it was not available to me. So we ended up sticking it out a couple of days and had to scramble and find other, you know, other airfare before other people got caught onto their cancellations. <laughs> because, you know, again, you have an island and you have thousands of people trying to get off the island before classes start on January 3rd. That could have been a bit problematic. So uh, it was it was a, a stressful half a day while we made those new arrangements, but it all worked out. Excellent. I had a great Christmas and so did my family. No San Juan boat lift. Uh. <laughs> no, thankfully, no, no. <laughs> Or no airlift, you know. We appreciate uh, how you keep uh, an eye on uh, our Spanish language media and on uh, migration politics, and and uh, um, everybody should continue to follow him at Bonilla JL on Twitter. We have MRC Latino Twitter, um, and of course our MRC Latino page on Newsbusters. Thank you, Jorge. Thank you so much, Tim. And when you come for uh, all of our talk of disinformation. They claim we're all disinformation. We're not. You are. I know where you are, but what am I? You come to Newsbusters once, twice, 24 times a day. Thanks for listening. <laughs>